Shall we unite our hearts together in a word of prayer and then we'll look into our study then? Our Father and our God, we thank you again tonight for this great privilege and yet this great responsibility of opening up thy word that has found you. And we pray that we might have come tonight, Father, to permit and to enable the Holy Spirit of God to work in and through thy messenger. We pray that each one here might have attentive ears and receptive hearts and minds that will comprehend the truth that thou hast have for us in our lives today. May thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, be lifted up and exalted. May thy name through him be glorified. When we leave this building tonight, might we truly be able to say that we have been in the presence of our Lord through the Word and that we have profited from this time together. And may thy servant be hidden behind the cross and behind the Savior. And might the Son of God alone be seen tonight. And we'll praise thee for it in his matchless name. Amen. The subject that we have assigned to us tonight is Christ the coming King and Christ the head of life. We cannot expect tonight to do justice to this subject in every way. It is far beyond the time allotted to us to expound on it and expand on it in the measure that we might desire. It is not so often what it is that we should say that we are concerned about, but sometimes even the very things that we are not going to be able to touch upon. But looking over the program and the subjects that have been assigned, where we have not covered certain areas, I know that they will be covered by the speakers in these next days. If you will turn with us this evening to the second psalm, we want to read with you just a portion of this, then we will show you why we have chosen to begin our message here tonight. The second psalm. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Jehovah and against his anointed. Christ, the coming king, and Christ, the head of the church, which is his body. The first thing we want to implant upon our minds tonight is that whenever you read the name Christ, you should always think of it in the sense that it literally means God's anointed. And if we can keep this in mind tonight as we look into these verses and these passages, 
very carefully the way that the name of our Lord and the titles of our Lord are used in the Word of God. The names are used interchangeably but never by chance. Always with a divine will and a divine purpose in every instance. We believe in the verbal inspiration of the Word of God. We believe the Holy Spirit directed the hearts and the minds of those who have written in the pages of this book the truth that God has for us today. And so as we think of Christ tonight, we think that God anointed the coming King. And yes, God anointed the head of the church, which is his body. The name Christ is oftentimes thought of as a proper name, and rightfully so. But it is the meaning behind the name that we must bear in mind. When the name Christ is used, it should always be used in reverence, when it refers to the Son of God. He is Jehovah's anointed. He is the, the anointed of God, the Father. And as we will progress in our study tonight, I think we will see the importance of the term that is used and applied here in the Word of God. And so we find in verse 2 and in Psalm 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Jehovah against his anointed. Oh, I trust tonight that you are not taking a stand against God's anointed. I trust tonight that the Son of God is enjoying his rightful place in your heart and in your life. If you will turn with us now into the New Testament, and we'll just take a look at a few passages. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 41. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 41. We'll go back to verse 40 to pick up the thought. John, chapter 1, verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ, God's anointed. And so we find that the name Christ, the title Christ, deals with Christ, God anointed, the Messiah of the nation of Israel. And so to the Jews, to those of Israel, when they were to realize that Christ was indeed their Messiah, that he was God's anointed, they were to view him entirely different in their lives than they had viewed him before. Not that they were to receive him, for the word of God tells us he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them which believed on his name. We read on in the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, and verse 49. 
Nathaniel answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. At his birth, we read in the Gospel of Matthew, the second chapter, verse 2, they asked, Where is he that is born King of the Jews? Time after time in the Old Testament scriptures, the Son of God is declared to be the King of the nation of Israel, declared to be Israel's Messiah. He came that he might be their King. He came that he might rule over them. But it was not yet God's appointed time. It was not yet the day in which God would have his son to rule over mankind and to rule over this earth. And we will see that also in just a little while. Go back with me, if you will, to the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. Zechariah, chapter 14. We'll begin reading with verse 4 for time's sake tonight. Zechariah 14 and verse 4. Concerning the return of the Son of God. We find today that there is a great interest in prophetic teachings. How often do we find people today who are eager to learn about prophecy? But it's strange that they fail to understand some of the greatest prophecies in the Word of God, which have to do with the coming of the Son of God to the church, which is his body. You know, that too is a part of prophecy. Paul, in his own writing, spoke in his letters, some of them have been prophetic writings. Paul prophesied of the hope of the church. And yet this doesn't seem to interest too many today. They're concerned about Israel. What is the place and the position of Israel today? And many today are buried from the point of a pre-tribulation hope to a post-tribulation hope because they are trying to fit God's program today into the prophetic writing of the Old Testament. And you cannot do it. The hope of the church, the body of Christ, is not found anywhere in the Old Testament writings. We don't have time to get into that. I'm sure that our speakers will deal with this subject in the days to come. But we find in verse 4 of Zechariah 14 that when the Son of God returns back to this earth, that his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Now, we only have time tonight to point out that this has not yet taken place. This remains God's future program and purpose for the nation of Israel. God's anointed the Messiah of Israel is going to return back to this earth to receive a kingdom unto himself. He is going to come back and he is going to rule on this earth. 
in a manner that the whole earth will understand the rule of the power of God's anointed one. Turn with us now, if you will, to the very last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation. There are just two passages that we want to know here. In Revelation chapter 19, concerning again the coming of the Son of God, the Son of Man, for Israel the nation. He is never called the Son of Man in his relationship to the body of Christ. He is the Son of God, he is God the Son. But never referred to scripturally as the Son of Man when it comes to the hope of the church. But over and over again for Israel, he is declared to be the Son of Man. When you see the Son of Man coming in his glory, when you see the Son of Man coming in his power, this will be the mark for Israel the nation. In Revelation chapter 19, beginning with verse 11, And I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire in on his head, were many crowned, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yes, brethren, this is God's program for the nation of Israel. When the Son of God comes back again to this earth, he will come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Every nation will be underneath his rule. Every nation will be underneath his power. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And the nations will have to go up to Jerusalem every year to worship God if they are going to receive his physical and his material blessings upon them as well as to receive spiritual blessings in their lives. Then in the 20th chapter of the Revelation, we find in verse 4 these words. Verse 4, Revelation 20. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned, now with Christ, with God anointed, a thousand years. Yes, when Christ comes back to this earth, when God's anointed comes back to this earth, he comes back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When he comes back to rule on this earth, he will rule and reign with a rod of iron over the nations. It will be for the, the duration of 1,000 years. Oh, I trust tonight that you believe that this is exactly what the Word of God means. 
thousand years, that's what God means. He doesn't mean five thousand years. He doesn't mean ten thousand years. He doesn't mean a short season and a long season. When God says one thousand years in his word, he means exactly that. He shall rule for a thousand years. And then we find in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of his anointed, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now this is the hope of Israel, the nation. This is the hope of the twelve apostles, and I know that this is one of the subjects assigned to one of our uh, messengers in the week to come. But we find that they shall live and reign with Christ, with God's anointed, for a thousand years. Now much more could be said on this subject. We could spend all evening long, and even then, only begin to touch upon some of the important truths concerning Christ and his relationship to Israel as their king. He is coming. He is coming. But he is not coming today for the nation of Israel. When he comes to the church, the body of Christ, it is not to set up his kingdom here upon this earth. When he comes for the body of Christ, he is coming as the head of the church, which is his body. In the last letter of Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy, I just want to comment on this because I feel it is important in regards to what we are saying tonight. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul has this to say to this young man, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Brethren, I believe that Paul is writing here concerning the hope of the church. Do not believe that the kingdom here mentioned is Israel's kingdom. Because we have been translated into the kingdom of God, dear son, or the son of Israel. And I just thought we should comment, or at least make mention of this, lest any fail to see the difference between God's program for Israel, the nation, and Christ as Israel's king, and the relationship that we have with Christ in his kingdom that has to do with the body of Christ. For we are in the kingdom of God, aren't we? We are not in Israel's kingdom, that is not our hope. That is not our expectation, but we are a part of God's kingdom. Then one other verse in this fourth chapter, we find in verse 18 these words. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil word. Now notice again, the Lord shall deliver me. He is Lord tonight, isn't he? There is one Lord. He is Lord tonight. We have said ourselves over the past year, from years from time to time, if you do not make him 
He is not king because men make him king. He is king whether they make him king or not. And so Paul speaks or writes to the fact that the Lord shall deliver him. Aren't you thankful tonight for such a Lord? One who is in control. One who has a plan. One who has a purpose. One who has a program. Brethren, the world has not gotten out of the hands of God tonight. He is still very much in control. The time is going to come when God will say to man, You've gone just as far as I'm going to let you go. And the day of grace is going to come to a close. But notice what Paul goes on to declare. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil word, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. Now, how do we explain this? Well, I don't think we have to explain it. I think the word of God does that for us. This is the only time this is used anywhere in the New Testament scriptures. This phrase is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. This has to do with our relationship to Christ and the heavens. It has to do with the kingdom of the heavens. Not the kingdom of the heavens, which belongs to Israel. But this has to do with our relationship to Christ. Paul was not looking for Israel's kingdom. He was looking for the head of the body of Christ. He was looking for Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. But I, I felt that we should at least make comment on this, lest we be misunderstood. Sometimes we sing that uh, Christ is King, and we, we hesitate about that. Well, if we understand what the Word of God has to declare, right? Understand His kingship and the relationship we have with Him. It won't be quite so much of a difficulty for us as long as we do not make it the kingdom that belongs to Israel. Much more should be said on this tonight. But I want to get into Christ as the head of the body of Christ. Because his work tonight in this the administration of grace is different from that which he was accomplishing even while he was here on this earth. Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. He came to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. He did not come to usher in the administration of God's grace. Now hear me. Christ did not usher in the administration of grace. Not in his earthly ministry. He came to confirm the promises made unto the he came as Israel's Messiah. He came as God's anointed for his chosen people. Paul and Christ preached different gospels. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying what the Word of God declares tonight. Paul and Christ preached different gospels. Christ was the minister of the circumcision. Christ declared the hope of Israel. Christ came to reach his own. 
to reach the nation of Israel. And that's why in the early chapters of Acts, it is a call for Israel to national repentance. Praise God in his role tonight. Or perhaps a better choosing of a word in his position tonight. He is the head over all things to the church. Turn with us, if you will, back to the book of Ephesians or to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, if you will, in verse 3. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. And I like the very first word here, don't you? Bless. Or blessed, however you want to read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you give him praise tonight? You say tonight, blessed be God the Father. Oh, I trust that you do. You see, brethren, when we come to the conference to proclaim the word of God, we come not to preach ourselves or to exalt ourselves. We come to exalt Christ. We come to lift up our Lord, to exalt our God. Oh, I realize that you appreciate the fact that God is able to work in and through those that he has called into the ministry. But what we must glory in is not the messenger, but the message. Not the pastor, but the person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Paul declares, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice again, our Lord, that is our Master, Jesus, Jehovah is salvation, Christ, God's anointed. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that glorious? Are you rejoicing in Him tonight? Notice what He goes on to say. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, now notice, in his anointed. I like that. In Christ, in God's anointed, in Jehovah's anointed tonight, I am complete. In him tonight, I am accepted. In him tonight, I find my hope, my calling. I find my blessings in Christ, in God's anointing. You know what that means? You know what it means when we declare him to be, when the word of God declares him to be God's anointing. You know what that means? You realize the implication of that? Brethren, it means that if Christ is indeed God's anointed, there is none other. And this, I believe, is what we read in the book of Acts. There is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby Israel must be saved, if you please. 
None of This same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, God hath raised him up and made him both Lord and Christ. This same Jesus. There's none other to come. Our blessings are in Christ. God's anointed. There are no words out to be found. Your blessings are not in your church, you understand. Your blessings are not in your religion. Your blessings are not in your church membership. If you're saved tonight by God's grace, your blessings are in Christ. And that's the only place you're going to find them. And as long as you rejoice, you're going to have to rejoice in Christ. How often does God tell us this? That no flesh should glory in men. And after all, after all, what do we have to glory in? In Colossians, the second chapter, we were privileged to share with our congregation a while ago two phrases. One phrase was Christ. Complete in Christ. The other phrase was, and you. Think on that. Christ and you. Now where are you going to glory? Have anything to glory in of yourself? Why, of course not. He that glories, let him glory in the Lord. And so Paul declares that we have been, been blessed in God anointed. Then notice as we go on in the first chapter, verse 20, if you will, we find which he wrought in Christ. This is the power of God. It's the mighty power of God. We have a powerful God tonight, don't we? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of God's anointed, it is what? The power, praise God, there's power in the gospel. There's power in the cross. There is power in Christ. If you want to be a powerful witness for our Lord, teach the word. For it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The words of men come to naught. The word of God never returns unto him void. And so we find this mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all. That's where our Savior is tonight. That's where God's anointed is tonight. He's far above all. The world doesn't want to put him there. Satan doesn't want to leave him there. You know how Satan tries to bring Christ down to this earth? He loves to have people talk about Jesus. Not Satan reverently but so many are so in vow with, with the earthly Jesus instead of with the risen cross. 
And brethren, this is the spirit that is at work in Christianity tonight. People want to know, have you been with Jesus? They speak of Jesus over and over again. But praise God, he is the risen Lord of glory this evening. He's seated at the right of the Father. He's far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this world or this age, but in the coming one. And that's what all things under his feet. Saving men and women and young people by his grace. 
together into the one body. Until someday, some glorious day, the last member is going to be added to the body of Christ and we will be joined together to our head to live with him throughout all the ages to come. That day is drawing close. I do not know how close it is. But I know it's closer tonight than it was a year ago. I know it is closer today than it was eight years ago. How much more time we have, I do not know. Really, it's not that important. Because if God wanted us to know the time, he would have told us. What he wants us to concern ourselves with is today, now. He wants us to serve him now. He wants us to be used of him and to be useful of him now. We have a blessed hope, to be sure. We are to be loving the appearing of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be looking for it, yes, even to be anticipating it, but not to be forsaking the ministry that he has for us in our lives today. When the time is ready, the church will be completed. That's God's business tonight. It is our ministry to make the truth of God's word known. Turn with me to that passage we quoted in Ephesians 4, at least in part. Ephesians 4, we'll begin reading with verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, Christ. that we might grow up into him in all things. He which is the head, God anointed. You see, brethren, that is to be the focal point of our lives, isn't it? To keep our eyes fastened on Christ. To keep our eyes fastened on the Son of God. Because we cannot love his appearing unless we love him. We cannot love his appearing. Because after all, what should the appearing of Christ mean to us but to see him, to stand in his presence. To be face to face with the one who has redeemed us by his grace. Isn't that really what we should be looking for? Isn't that really what we should be anticipating in our lives? I've used the illustration in our church many times when uh, my wife, not my wife at that time, was going to school in Milwaukee. She used to sometimes come across the Milwaukee Clipper to Michigan. And I would meet the Milwaukee Clipper in Michigan. Now, I wasn't thrilled to see the Clipper come in. I could go there almost any day and see the Clipper come in. It's what the clipper was bringing, you see, that thrilled me. You see what I'm saying tonight? The coming of Christ should be important to us tonight because it is Christ's coming. Because we're going to see Him. We're going to be with Him. 
going to stand in His presence. We're going to be sharing His glory from all the ages to come as members of the body of Christ. This is the hope. This is the expectation of the believer tonight. Oh, I remember years ago singing very zealously. We're marching the Zion. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful Zion, the beautiful city of God. Ever sing that? I think some of you have. Another one we used to sing too, but oh, I sang it very enthusiastically. Oh, beautiful I didn't have any idea what I was singing, but I was singing. And praise God tonight, we realize that our Savior is in heaven. And it's out of that realm that we look for Him to come, isn't it? Reverend, how much better would our churches be tonight? How much better off would God's people be if they would not be so concerned about Jerusalem and be more concerned about heaven? You see, so many are trying to fit all the puzzles of prophecy into Jerusalem. And they're so concerned about what's going on in the Middle East, and rightfully so to a degree, but our Savior is coming out of the heavenly realm. For Israel is coming back to the Mount of Olives, not for the body of Christ. Set your affection on things above, not on things here on this earth. Why? Because that's where our Savior is. That's where our position is. That's where our hope is. That is where our expectation is tonight as members of the body of Christ. But let's go on here in Ephesians 4. In verse 16 we read, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Ephesians 5, we'll read there, we will not have time tonight, that Christ is the head of the church. The wife, the, the husband rather, is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And the idea there is the church is to be subject unto Christ, to arrange itself under Christ. To arrange itself under Christ. If I want the walking orders tonight for the body of Christ, I must go to the writer that God chose to write to the body of Christ, the Apostle Paul. If I want a doctrinal statement, I find it in Ephesians 4. The sevenfold unity of the Spirit. Christ, as the head of the body, wants us to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit as the head of the church. Now you'll find, brethren, when you deal with the unity of the Spirit, whenever 